0: with his blood, but I believe that we can't truly understand the depth, the greatness of the blessings we now experience in Jesus unless you look before Jesus and see what it is they experienced. It's my suspicion that most of us, do not rightly value what Jesus has accomplished for us. That we don't treasure every moment of every day what Jesus purchased with his blood. And and I'll just confess to you that, that this week as I studied chapter 24 of Exodus, I've realized that I am one of those who does not rightly appreciate and treasure what jesus has done and so i think this will be an important study today to see the contrast the greater glory of what jesus has done even as compared to a still wonderful covenant from god in this mosaic covenant so that's what we want to have happen in our hearts today that's what we want Uh, God to do as we study his word diligently and apply it in our lives. So let's pray to that end. Father God, we are so prone to take for granted the blessings in our lives. Most of all, we are prone to take your saving grace, purchased And applied through Christ Jesus for granted. We don't recognize what an amazing experience of redemption we possess each day if we have trusted in Christ Jesus. And so Lord, we lack awe. We lack worship. We lack gratitude. And we lack lives that are willing to sacrifice the trivial comforts in order to experience the greater blessings of knowing, loving, worshiping, and serving you, God. May it not be so. May you use your word and your spirit to enrich our minds and enliven our hearts in worship to you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Exodus 24, if you've been with us over the past few months, you know that in the book of Exodus so far, God has rescued Israel from their slavery in Egypt. He's been guiding them through the wilderness, and he has led them to a mountain called Sinai. There, God told Moses that he wanted to enter into a covenant with Israel if the Israelites would obey the covenant, he would be their God, and they would be his blessed people. At this point, again, in Exodus 24, God has already given the terms of the Mosaic Covenant, or the Sinai Covenant, whatever you'd like to call it. And that has been in the form of what we know as the Ten Commandments, followed by the Law of Moses. And that spanned chapters 20 through 23 but these commandments and laws are to dictate every aspect of israel's moral civil and religious lives so really everything about them and god has given that covenant so the only thing that is left to do is for the covenant to be accepted and enacted God's God's given them the covenant terms, but the covenant has yet to begin or to be applied, if you will. So this is exactly what we're going to see happen in chapter 24. This is kind of the culmination of, you know, God coming down on on Sinai and speaking from the the mountain and giving them the Ten Commandments, then Moses going and God giving him the rest of the law. And so this is what we see. We'll actually pick up first in verse 3, but... Before that, I'll just kind of give you a heading to follow along with me. This is the beginning of the covenant. There needs to be an official acceptance and application or ceremony uh, for this covenant to begin to be applied to them. So this will be the beginning of the covenant that we'll read uh, in verses 3 through 8. So verses 3 through 8, it says, Moses came down. Here, sorry, Moses came, that came from Mount Sinai, and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. That's God's word showing us how this Mosaic covenant was applied. This is the, the inauguration ceremony of the Mosaic Covenant being uh, active between God and the nation of Israel. And so just to kind of recount what we just saw there, uh, the way I think of it, Moses comes down uh, from the mountain with, with all these words, all these, you know, commandments and laws, and he's, he, he recites them. He just audibly recites them to the people, and they all agree with one voice all that the Lord has said, we will do. And so that is like kind of confirmation okay, we're going to do this, we're going to have this covenant ceremony, we're going to enter into it. And so Moses writes down all the words of the Lord. That, I mean, there would be a written record of this covenant agreement and all the, the, the terms of the covenant that were given to him. And then Moses prepares for the covenant ceremony. And it says, he rose early and built an altar at the foot of the mountain. So this is an altar to the Lord. That is, in some ways, represents God. In some ways, it is, you know, where the sacrifices to God uh, would be be offered. And and he put up 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. So that, that is, you have this altar representing God, then you have these 12 stone pillars that would have been just stacks of stone representing the tribes of Israel and all the peoples of Israel, the the, the 12 tribes of Israel. And so that's kind of the scene, the, the setup for this covenant ceremony. And then Moses takes young men of the people of Israel. There's not yet a priesthood. He takes young men of the people of Israel who offer burnt offerings, and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. This is kind of where I I want to zoom in for just a moment on on what's happening here, is is we have uh, these specific offerings listed, these specific sacrifices listed as a part of this covenant ceremony. Now, sacrifices uh, in, in these days and in this culture, sacrifices... Uh, were were almost essential for a covenant to be made and so that that's really no surprise Uh, they could be making a a covenant with another nation at this point and there may still have been sacrifices made but we need to understand okay there's burnt sacrifices burnt offerings and peace offerings what what are those what are the significance of those Now, today isn't a study in Leviticus and understanding every little aspect of them, but I want you to have just at least a little understanding because they will be uh, significant for what happens in the rest of this scene. A peace offering, we actually have backwards what a peace offering is. We think of there's two people quarreling, and so one offers a peace offering. It's really a bribe, right? Uh, You know, you've hurt someone. <laughs> you, you, you've 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 hurt your spouse, and so you, you go pick up some flowers. I mean, what are you trying to do? You know, you, you tra- please. Now, I don't want to call that a bribe, guys. But, anyways, um, that that's kind of how we think of it. But that's not the biblical meaning of a peace offering and the way God describes it. And you can read about this uh, elsewhere in Leviticus and, and things like that. But a peace offering uh, could actually be maybe better called a thanks offering an offering of thanksgiving. And so really a peace offering, according to the way the the Bible talks about it when these uh, offerings are better described, is it is a free will offering to show thanks. And so kind of the idea of how that's important here with Israel is this isn't them purchasing this covenant between them and God. This is them thanking God for this covenant between them and God. They are thankful and they are freely offering these thank offerings to God as, as, as a, a thank you. I mean, that, that, that was just how they were able to express that. And so that's a peace offering, not what we think of as a bribe to make peace, but rather because God has made peace, they are saying thank you. <clears throat> but then there's the other kind of, of offering offering. The burnt offering. Elsewhere, this is called the whole burnt offering. And, and that, that was significant uh, because many of the, the offerings that were, were laid up on the altar, there'd be a portion that would be wholly consumed and, and, and carried up in smoke to God. But then there would be a portion that they would eat, or the priest would eat, or both would eat, depending on the specific offering. But that was not true for the burnt offering. And and it's often called the whole burnt offering in the Bible because that's exactly what happened. All of it was consumed. It was reduced to ashes on our end and lifted up in smoke to God on their end. Literally, the word burnt offering, by the way, in Hebrew means to go up in smoke. And So basically, they were just using this word. I'm going to go make a to go up in smoke. I'm going to burn the whole thing of this sacrifice. And so... This is a burnt offering. And so that's important that it was entirely consumed. That is, every bit of it uh, offered up to God. Other than the the hide, that is the animal skin and the blood that had already been drained. But what's more important for our purposes is the burnt offering was an offering of atonement. Okay? uh, Atonement means... Uh, to seek forgiveness, to seek a, a, a covering for sin. And so this is Israel recognizing that God is holy and they are not. That God is perfect and they are sinful and flawed. That is what a burnt offering is, is There is this disparity between the perfect holiness of God and their sinfulness. And so for them to come together in this sort of covenant relationship, there must be a covering for sin. There must be a covering for sin. And that is what the burnt offering is. An animal. God had provided uh, this, this means, by the way. God had provided that there could be a substitute, that the death they deserve because of their sin, the animal would experience. Their blood that should be shed because of their sin in God's presence, the animal would shed in their place. And that is a burnt offering. If you're interested in the different sacrifices, this is different from the Passover uh, lamb. In that the Passover lamb definitely was a a a, um, a sacrifice of atonement, a, a a plea to God to to cover their sins uh, by this substitute. Uh, but the the only difference between the Passover lamb is number one, it was only done once a year, whereas the burnt offering was done every single day, and then uh, again on special days, Sabbath feasts, and things like that. So it's done much more often, more regularly. Uh, but the Passover lamb, they did share. They, 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 it was not a whole burnt offering. They would eat some of the lamb. Um, and so those are kind of the differences there. But it is a sacrifice of atonement that has been offered up to God. And so again, you, you, you have the scene here. This is not just Moses doing this. You have this altar representing God. Then you have these 12 pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And so... This is the whole nation of Israel saying, God, we are so thankful that you would want to be in this covenant with us. Here are these peace offerings, these thank offerings, but we recognize our own sinfulness. We recognize your consuming holiness, and so we plea for a covering, and God, of course, had provided that way of temporary covering through the blood of animals, the substitution of. There, uh, I, I would even show you that um, how Hebrews, oops, how Hebrews talks about that. Uh, he says there in, in uh, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 18, the author of Hebrews says, therefore, not even the first covenant, that's that's the one we're looking at, was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet scarlet wool and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins. So so that's how the author of Hebrews recounts what what Moses did here. He says he, he was making these offerings. This blood was being spilt as, as a forgiveness, as a covering for sins in order that they might enter this covenant with God, this Mosaic covenant. And so the ceremony has happened. If you, th- you were to think of it in wedding terms, uh, the, the pastor has said, you may kiss the bride, you know, and they're, they're good to go. They're, they're ready to walk out. But that begs the question, or at least it does for me, what's going to happen next? <laughs> okay, like they've just had this amazing covenant ceremony between Israel and God to come into this new covenant relationship. Well, what's going to happen next? How, how is God going to relate with them now that they've entered this covenant? What will a covenant blood covered relationship look like? You know, I I remember when Hallie and I were were to be married some years ago, uh, I actually asked myself this same question. I think any wise person would, you know. Like, okay, here in like a month we're going to be married, and like things are awesome now. Like we just can't wait to see each other. We can't spend enough time with each other. But what's going to happen after we get hitched? You know, like after she's locked in (laughs) with me? Like, is she still going to want to spend time with me? Is she still, you know, uh, going to have affections for me? Is she going to turn cold towards me once we're living in the same house? Is she going to be rude to me once I'm locked in and can't get out, you know? Um, Now, Thankfully, that's not the way things went. My fears were unfounded and I would choose Halley all over again. So that's a good thing, but I couldn't help but wonder that. You know, once the covenant happens, how is the relationship going to change? What's it going to be like? And that's likely how Israel's feeling is like, man, we're just out in the wilderness. We're at this mountain that's on fire smoking with God's presence. And here are the covenant terms. We've agreed to it. We've had this you know, amazing ceremony and we're in, now what? How is God going to treat us under this new type of covenant? And so this is what I want you to see next in this passage. That is the blessings of the covenant. The blessings of the covenant. Immediately, God will surpass any and all expectations they could have had for this covenant relationship immediately God will allow them to taste the blessings of being in this sort of blood-covered relationship with him. This scene was actually set up in verses 1 and 2, but then picks up in verse 9. So we'll read verses 1 and 2 first. Then God said to Moses, or he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu and 770 of the elders of Israel and worship from afar. So they're to go up on the mountain. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near. And the people, that is the rest of Israel, shall not come up with him. Then uh, in verses 3 through 8, we have that covenant ceremony we just looked at. And then we pick up of here is what happens after they are in this blood-covered ceremony with God. Verse 9, did I go to it yet? I don't think so. Here we go. Verse 9, it says, Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, that by the way is Aaron's sons, then Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he, God, did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. That all happened really fast. Like if you're just reading through Exodus 24, it would be so simple to skim through that and, and just not even let it register how amazing this is. I mean, if you can find a comparison with this moment in the Old Testament, I would like to hear it. This is no doubt a mountaintop, if not the apex of the Old Testament. Look look at what happens. God comes into this blood-covered covenant with them. God allows them to go up on the mountain. Why is that significant? Um, I've got this uh, up there on the screen if you want to read with me, uh, Exodus 19. So this is before God is giving the Ten Commandments, before he gives the rest of the law. God has come down on Sinai, and this is what he tells Moses. He says, you shall set limits for the people all around, that is all around the mountain, saying, take care not to go up into the mountain Or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. And if we think God wasn't serious about that warning, we see in verse 24 and 25, Moses has already gone down and told the people. He's already set the limits. Moses returns back up, and this is what God says to him. Verse 24, And the Lord said to him, Go down and come up again, bringing Aaron with you. But do not let the priests... And the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest I break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. So God's already warned him. If anyone, so much as crosses the barriers you set up at the bottom of the mountain, they will die. So Moses goes down, tells the people they set barriers up. And there's actually a a three-day consecration that happens in between. But then Moses goes uh, back up and and. God sends him back down again and says, you remember that rule about not coming up on the mountain while I'm here? Go tell them again, lest I break out against them. God is so holy, so righteous, that if any of these sinful people so much as cross a line, they will die by God's holy wrath. That was the warning. That is the relationship uh, ethos that they are operating in. Not, not exactly a warm and fuzzy relationship uh, at this point, but God is, is making a very real point. I am holy. You are not. You will be consumed by my holy fire if you cross that line into my dwelling. This Mount Sinai for this period uh, was God's dwelling here on earth You have this warning of death. God gives the commandments. God gives the law. Then there is this blood-covered ceremony, covenant ceremony. And there is a twist in the story, like something that we just wouldn't expect. And so I want to move through these uh, rather quickly. But verse 9, Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up. So you now have, uh, 70-something people, you know, a total of 74 people. M- Moses and Aaron had already been allowed earlier, but now Nadab and Abihu, Aaron's sons, and 70 of the elders of Israel. 70 is an important number. It's a number of completion. They, they fully represent the nation of Israel. That's, that's the idea behind the 70 elders. They are complete representatives of the nation of Israel. They enter god's earthly dwelling god invites them in they enter god's dwelling they went up then it says next in verse 10 and they saw the god of israel again this does not happen often in the bible (laughs) like they they go up into his dwelling where they you know they're they're scared you know what's going to happen we're on this mountain and they see the God of Israel it is quite literally as though heaven has come down and pulled back the curtain for them you say why do you say that look at the pavement literally the only thing that's described by the way is the pavement which I think just tells you of the, the overwhelming glory of looking at God that they could only really look at the pavement. I mean, you walk out uh, outside on a bright, sunny day after you've been sitting in a dark room or maybe you saw a movie, you know, you're in that dark theater and you walk out into the sun and you say, whoa! And you're just kind of looking down at the ground. That's what's happening here. So it describes the pavement and it is as sapphire stone. Sapphire is a blue crystal, um, you might say. And it says like the very heaven for clearness. I mean, this is the heavens coming down and God's feet resting there on the earth on this heavenly pavement. God allows them not only to enter his dwelling, right, into his house, if you will, there on Mount Sinai, but then God comes into the room. Granted, God's on the other side of the room because they weren't allowed to go near to him, like uh, Moses was, but God does enter the room. This is unbelievable (laughs) for Israel. And by the way, this is a very difficult text because uh, later in Exodus 33 verse 20, it will say no one can see God's face and live. So somehow, some way, God is revealing his self in a visible way And they are not harmed. And we see that in verse 11. But built into verse 11 is actually a step further in greatness and glory. Look at it there on the screen. Verse 11, or in your Bible, even better. And he, God, did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. Summary, they beheld God. New new, uh, information and ate and drank. Again, this is, especially in their culture, this was an unbelievable, to say unexpected is just so trivial, and I think they'd have had such a hard time even comprehending what was happening to them the God of Israel, the one who is a consuming fire, the one who wiped out the Egyptian army is now uh, allowing them to enter into his dwelling. He has come into the room and now they are sharing a meal in his presence. They are sharing a meal. If you don't understand this, it has something to do with our, our culture is, is lacking An understanding of what this means to share a meal in the presence of God, I kind of want to explain to you uh, that a little bit. Meals, just in general, traditionally, and we all know this, meals have the amazing ability to draw people closer together. Maybe you've even experienced that. Maybe there's someone that you knew from afar, someone at work, someone at church. So you know, just you you kind of had a, a a tenuous just kind of far off relationship with them. But then maybe they invited you over to their house for dinner. You say, oh man, <laughs> I don't know them. I'm kind of intimidated by them, but you go anyways. And so I want you to think through that scene, even if it's never happened to you. I just want you to imagine it. You enter their house and you are more than a little nervous, you know. Everything feels a little awkward and foreign. You think, do I take my shoes off or do I keep them on? You know, I got to see what they're doing. Do I, do I put my hands in my pocket? Do I leave them by my side? You know, do, just all these, these little things that we're overthinking. Do I sit down on, on a couch or do I stand... You feel awkward. And, and, you know, the conversation at that point is forced and difficult. You know, how, how was the trip over here? Great. Traffic wasn't bad. You know, it was really good. And you're just like, ugh, I got to talk with this person for the next, like, hour and a half I'm over at their house. Like, it, it's just forced and awkward. And you just feel like you're going to say something stupid. You, you make this vow that you're just going to be kind of quiet. Like, they're going to have to force words out of you just so you don't say something stupid. But then something changes. The food comes out. Dinner is ready. You and your hosts go to the table. The food is there. And without even noticing it, the tone shifts. Like you won't say, okay, now all of a sudden we're relaxed. But, but it, it doesn't take long, but it, it happens. The tone sh- shifts at, at, at the dinner table a round of a meal, sharing a meal. It has the ability to, to make the situation not only less awkward, but to, to give you a sense of comfort and to draw you out and, and, and to, to, to let them in to your life. The tension eases, the conversation starts to flow more easily as you tell stories, as you tell jokes, as you recount, you know, parts of your life and they recount parts of theirs and, you know, you realize things you have in common and differences and just all these things, you laugh, you cry, you share life with that person around a meal. When you leave, maybe on the drive home, you realize, huh, I think completely differently about that person in our relationship than I did on the drive here. And the next time you see them, there's just this mutual understanding that we know each other, we have a relationship that did not exist before. This happens around a meal. Again, I tried to explain that to you because in in this ancient culture, Eastern culture, that would have just been the norm. That's what you did uh, in order to establish relationships was to invite them into a meal because they knew this principle. And so I'm just reminding you of a, a kind of a lost art that I think we should definitely regain to build connections with one another. But, but get this, God Almighty has invited them into that. He says, come into my house, come on to Mount Sinai. God comes into the room and they, they, they see him, they behold God, and then they ate and drank. I, I don't want to say too much there. I'm not saying God pulled out his lunchbox and ate the meal with them. I'm not saying God joked and palled around with them in conversation. But the, the, the meaning here of what's going on is they have this new level of relationship with God. And God is inviting them even deeper in into an intimate relationship personal relationship with him. If, if you'd like to think of it this way, in this new blood-covered covenant, before they've ever either kept the covenant or broken the covenant, right? The ceremonies just happened. They are just now under this law. This is how God treats them. God is reversing the curse, if you will, what happened in Eden, Right? Garden of Eden, uh, Adam and Eve were were able to be in God's presence. They were able to walk and talk with God. But all that was lost because of the separation sin causes. They were severed off from that type of relationship with God. And now it is being restored in this covenant covered by blood. They're getting to experience the God of glory, power, power. And honor. They're getting to know him personally. Now you might say that's interesting that that's what's happened because like I'm trying to think of the rest of the Old Testament. Like do they keep hanging out with God? I by the way think that that's what would have happened uh, if all had continued in this direction. I think what the representatives, the 70 representatives experienced would have become the normal experience of uh, all Israel, in fact, the very next thing, chapter 25, God is going to begin giving instructions for the tabernacle, God's dwelling among Israel. And I believe that if things under the Mosaic covenant had stayed exactly the way they were, headed in this direction, all of the Israelites would have gotten to experience the blessing of knowing God in this way. But that's not what happens. The Old Covenant, the Mosaic Covenant, does have great blessings, and God intends great blessings and even gives them a foretaste of these great blessings, but they will not get to experience the fullness of the blessing of being in the glorious presence of God in a personal relationship with Him. The bonds of this blessing are primed to unravel very quickly. Now, I want you to see this, and we'll call this uh, oh man. The fragility of the covenant. The fragility of the covenant. This is a great, wonderful covenant. The blessings are beyond what Israel could have ever imagined, but it is fragile. We will see the seeds of this right here in chapter 24 right after the Mosaic covenant has been made, right after the first blessings are tasted. And so I want to to show you this in verses 12 through 18, just sort of hints that tell us this isn't going to last. This amazing blessing isn't going to last. So Exodus 24, 12 through 18, the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and wait there that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment which I have written for their instruction. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua and Moses went up into the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and her are with you. Whoever has a dispute, let him go to them. So just to tell you, God allowed these uh, men to come into the presence of God, but not to go near. God is saying, okay, Moses, you and Joshua, you're gonna come near that the others cannot come near. And so Moses basically sends them back. Wait, wait here, go back to the camp, wait here while while I go in uh, closer to God. We we know that they go back to the camp, by the way, because they're supposed to settle disputes within the tribe of Israel. And by what we see happen uh, further in the story, they clearly go back to the camp. So Moses goes up, they go back to the camp. Verse 15 <clears throat> Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire. On the top of the mountain, in the sight of the people of Israel, Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. I see here seeds, indications that will grow, that, that there is there's a loose thread in the bond of the, this, the blessings of this covenant. I see this in, in two places here, just in this passage. Actually, three. Let me give you a third that I, I don't even have in my notes. Um, Nadab and Abihu are in this. Things aren't going to go well for them, <laughs> okay? Uh, these, these are Aaron's sons. They are going to be the priests right right under Aaron. They are not going to last long. You won't be seeing them for very long uh, in the story. Uh, God, God will wipe them out after they offer up strange fire, Further, uh, what we see here in in this text, we see a devouring fire. So the glory of the Lord appeared to them like a devouring fire in the sight of the people of Israel. Pretty much any time you see God presented as fire that is pointing to his perfect, unimpeachable holiness. It's not pointing to his friendliness and fluffiness. It is that he is a consuming, holy, and just fire. That is generally what is being indicated when you see God uh, as a devouring fire. But that's not all we see. We see there at the end of verse 18, and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. That is an interesting inclusion and even conclusion of this chapter. Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. That's an interesting thing to say because in the very next chapter, it'll talk about, you know, the time that Moses is there and all that God says to him. But here it says it in past tense. Moses was on the mountain. It's kind of telling you what's going to happen 40 days from now. And that's where it's pointing our attention is to 40 days from now. Moses is on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. It's Otherwise, it's out of place, but it has a purpose. It's it's, it's drawing our attention to the fact that Moses is going to be absent from the people and that 40 days and 40 nights will elapse, and that's where we'll be picking back up the story. So so what are we supposed to be thinking? What are we supposed to be connecting that to? The, The answer comes... Eight chapters later. Technically, this picks up uh, 39 days later. Exodus 32, 1 through 6. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain. Right? Delayed. He's, he's up there. He didn't tell them how long he's going to stay. Moses goes into this consuming fire in the presence of God and then he doesn't come back out. This is, again, 39 days in. They're saying, man, where is this guy? So the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early, early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. You making a connection there? Burnt offerings and peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. I can't go into all the details here, but what just happened? Moses is still in the mountain, you know, right after this covenant ceremony, this amazing foretaste of the blessings of this covenant. But there's a problem with this covenant. There's something that makes this covenant very fragile. It was a conditional covenant. If you keep my commandments, if you, You are careful to obey all that I have commanded you. Then I will bless you in these ways. There is no question about it. This Mosaic covenant was conditioned upon the people's obedience to the covenant. And what have they done just 40 days later? On the 39th day, they have Aaron make a golden calf for them. And Aaron says... These are your gods, O Israel. And on the 40th day, the day Moses will come back, they offer burnt offerings and peace offerings to this idol. And the people sat down to eat, drink, and rose up to play, which is a euphemism, by the way, for great immorality uh, and perversion. That rose up to play thing is a a Hebrewism um, for, for immorality. Israel has broken their covenant with God. No sooner did they start this amazing journey with God than they fall flat on their faces. And the problem is this covenant depends on them. It is a conditional covenant. And they break that covenant. They even offer those burnt offerings and peace it's almost gross. To, to read what they do just 40 days later in direct opposition to the commandments God had just given them in this Mosaic covenant. All that God has said, we will do and will obey Him. And here they are doing the exact opposite thing. They have broken it. And, and here's what you need to understand in, in, in Exodus 24, they're tasting. The amazing blessings of God under the Mosaic Covenant. They're experiencing personal, intimate relationship with God. They go into his dwelling. He comes into the room. They eat and drink together. In Exodus 32, God is not going to be coming to them with this intimate, personal sort of relationship. Rather, God's wrath is going to be put on display in Exodus 32. Only thing they're gonna be eating and drinking at that point is eating the dirt after they've been chopped down by a sword and drinking their own blood. This is what they are going to get to experience. Quite a contrast from what happened on Mount Sinai, from what God wanted for them, from what God hoped, you could say, they would experience and him, longed for them to experience, you could say, maybe better. They forfeit The blessings, because they cannot keep the covenant. And the covenant was dependent on their obedience. This is how Israel's uh, history will go for the next 1,500 years. I mean, before Jesus comes, this is how the covenant will go. They'll, they'll, they'll be uh, punished for their disobedience to God's covenant. Then they may be restored to obedience for a short period and they, they begin to experience the blessings of God in, in part again. But no sooner do they do that than they fall right back into breaking this covenant. It is fragile. The blessings are great. But the requirements are too great for the people to keep because of their sinful hearts. But, but within this, I, I want us to understand where we stand today. Today, we are going to come to the Lord's table together here, just in a little bit, to this communion table. And, and what's interesting is this is a covenant celebration meal, okay? Just like when the elders went up on the mountain there in celebration of the covenant they've just made, uh, with God, that God has made with them, and then they eat and drink in the presence of God. That was a covenant celebration meal. This is a covenant celebration meal. But the celebration of a far greater, <laughs> infinitely superior covenant. And that is the beauty of what we experience today. And I want to show you this connection uh, very, very quickly. I know I don't have much time. Exodus 24 verse 8. We, we read this in the ceremony, and Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. But then we fast forward 1,500 years to what we now call the Last Supper. That, by the way, is why I called this sermon the First Supper. At the Last Supper, Jesus takes his disciples to an upper room. They are there to eat the Passover meal together, the the, the Passover celebration meal. And this is what it says, verse 26 of Matthew 26. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. This is where things get even better. Verse 27, and he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do you see what Jesus did? Jesus is quoting Moses, but you might say he's misquoting Moses. He's made a slight alteration. Instead of it being the blood of the covenant, from, from sheeps and from oxen, from, from all these things, that their blood was spilled as a substitute. Now it is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And this Last Supper is but the, the, the trigger for the rest of the things. Judas will go out. Jesus will be betrayed. And the rest is history, as they say. Good Friday, Jesus is uh, put on a mock trial, then his blood is spilled on that uh, on the cross. He dies, and he Jesus says, This is my blood of the covenant. By the way, in First Corinthians eleven, twenty-five, uh, Paul's recounting this same uh, scene, and he says it this way. He's explaining it. He says, In the same way also, Jesus took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant. In my blood. And so Jesus was giving a covenant celebration meal. But it was not the old covenant celebrating it as they had been. It is the new covenant in his blood. And I just want to list for you why this is so much better. What is so much greater about this new covenant blood? Why was it so much more precious? First, Jesus was a greater covenant mediator. Jesus was a greater covenant mediator. I don't remember exactly how I've worded that in your notes. The new covenant brings a greater covenant mediator. There you go. I want you to remember that in this story, Moses won't even make it into the promised land. Because of Moses, Israel's mediator, because of his own disobedience to God, he's going to die before the people enter. But Jesus, on the other hand, has gone ahead into the promised land before us. I go to prepare a place for you, Jesus says. We got a better mediator, and he always is standing there before God, making intercession. We could go on for way too long about this greater covenant mediator we have in Christ. But in addition to that, Jesus was a greater sacrifice. The new covenant brings a far greater, infinitely superior, and I mean infinitely superior sacrifice to that of goats and lambs and any other animal. Those could only cover sins, but the blood of Jesus forgives sins. He was a sinless human and divine substitute who shed his blood, gave his life for us. Jesus doesn't just cover, he washes clean past, present, future. Israel had their sins covered right in the ceremony and they're able to enter into God's presence. We have a covenant that lasts forever. The moment they sinned, that ability was lost and they had to make another sacrifice and another sacrifice and another sacrifice. Jesus is that greater perfect sacrifice. In addition, The new covenant brings greater conditions, namely being unconditional other than by faith, right? The old covenant, you must do these things if you obey, then I will bless you in these ways. But in Jesus, in the new covenant, he says, it's not about what you do, but what I have done, The sins you have committed I cover and will continue to cover. The righteousness you need is mine and I give it to you. The only condition, the only condition to have the blood applied to you to be in this covenant and to be kept by this covenant is faith in Jesus and what he has accomplished. We are saved by grace through faith. This is a far greater condition because we don't fear blessed assurance right i mean this is jesus they did not have that sort of blessed assurance under the old covenant next the new covenant brings greater results this new covenant covered by the blood of jesus brings greater results what i mean by that is Under the old covenant, Israel was trying to obey the covenant, but they still had their old sinful hearts, right? But under the new covenant, the result of being covered by the blood of Jesus is not just entrance into the covenant, but being conformed to the covenant, being conformed to God's law at the heart level. Yes, we still struggle with sin, but just as much as they couldn't help but sin, we can't help but pursue righteousness because our hearts have been changed and we have been given the indwelling Holy Spirit of Jesus, purchased by his blood. That is the new covenant in Jesus' blood. Finally, and lastly, we have greater blessings. Whatever greatness you want to say about what happened to the the elders of Israel on Mount Sinai, each and every one of us who have had the blood of Jesus applied to us by faith, has access every moment of every day to far greater blessings, far greater experiences of the presence of God. You remember Hebrews, we are encouraged to boldly enter God's presence in the throne room of grace that we may receive grace. We, we boldly go into God's dwelling. They're, they're shaken. We are to boldly go in. Through Jesus, we are encouraged to build an intimate and personal relationship with our Father who art in heaven. We, we, we talk with him. We pray with him. We, we know that he cares for us. We relate to him. And we get to experience God in his presence, This blessing, the, 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 the relational intimacy of a meal together. We can experience that not just at the celebration, but each and every day. Not just at the covenant celebration, but each and every day. Because again, we we have the Holy Spirit in us. We have God continually with us. It's not that we go into His presence, but that He is in our presence continually. All we have to do is acknowledge Him. We get to relate to our Creator. We get to relate to the God of glory. We are In, locked into this sure covenant through the blood of Jesus that cleanses us of sin, that changes our hearts, and that changes our lives to be ones that experience God and all that he is. And so with this in mind, I want to turn to to the communion today. I want to ask first, has the blood been applied to you? Moses spread the blood on all of Israel, whether or not they liked it. I bet some did not, by the way. But for us, we, we all have to make that individual decision. Am I going to allow God to apply the blood of Jesus, the covenant blood, to my life? Am I going to let him cleanse me of sin? Am I going to let him forgive me? Am I going to let him make me new? Am I going to let him bring me into the blessings of of this new covenant, if you have not done that today, I I, I just urge you to to enter this one and only covenant of salvation that God offers today. That you trust in Jesus, his substitutionary, sin-bearing, sin-defeating work on the cross and in the resurrection. Trust in him and you enter this new amazing covenant I would also say for those of us who are already in this covenant, let us not forget the grace. Let us not forget the blessings that we really can be experiencing. I'm not saying we experience God perfectly, but we should at least in part continually pursue experiencing more and more of God in his fullness. Are you doing that? Are you pursuing God or are you living like he doesn't matter? Are you you acting like God is just some guy up in the sky or that that he's in your heart? That he wants to know you, that he wants to commune with you. This is what Jesus has purchased for us. And so I invite you now after this prayer to to come and and, and get the elements uh, when you're ready. And then we will all partake together. But... I do want to encourage you to celebrate the covenant with me. This is an amazing covenant that we get to celebrate, not just now, but each and every day, but very much in a special way here together. So let's pray. Father God, I pray that today we would partake of this Lord's Supper in a way we never have before, in a way that acknowledges how precious is the broken body in the shed blood of Christ Jesus. How precious is this new covenant he has brought us into. And how precious are the blessings that we should get to experience in you each day. Your presence, a personal relationship with you and a changed life. God, I pray that you would help us to do this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can come up and and get the elements when you're ready.